Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Barrio Logan is coffee, art, music, love, passion. It's a, a small place, but it's very nice. I like it. Okay, Barrio Logan is a great community, a great artistic community. Oh, sí, mucho, mucho cambia, mucho, 100%. Um, Barrio Logan is changing every day. Barrio Logan is community. Barrio Logan is empowering. Barrio Logan is beautiful. So, say the whole sentence? Okay, so Barrio Logan is inspiration. Barrio Logan is empowerment. Barrio Logan is culture. Barrio Logan is por vida. <laughs> Barrio Logan is home. Barrio Logan is in trouble. Okay, everybody, we have a guest with a big microphone. So uh, don't be intimidated. It's Chicago Park anyway. So check it out. Um, I could talk about this mural for hours. You see the one across the street? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, uh, I just want to make a few points. First of all, I say it's probably my favorite mural. Secondly, it tells you a story. And this is the beauty and the power of what we call public art. It's, 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 it tells, it's a narrative. So like you can get a book and it might be 500 pages in length with all these words and all this stuff. But here the power of these artists are able to tell you an entire life of a person in one image. If you check that out, look at that. Professor Alberto Lopez Polito is leading middle schoolers through Chicano Park in San Diego's Barrio Logan neighborhood. Chicano Park is a public park that sits under the San Diego Coronado Bridge. The kids are surrounded by towering cement pylons that hold up the nearby freeway and the bridge. Dozens of the bright murals are painted across the pylons. The kids point and whisper to each other as Polito uses a bullhorn so his voice rises over the constant noise of the traffic. It's on the life of a guy named Pedro J. Gonzalez. Okay? Pedro J. Gonzalez was in the The federal government named Chicano Park a National Historic Monument. It's got the world's biggest collection of outdoor murals. On most days, you can find a handful of tour groups making their way through the park. People often snap selfies in front of the Mexican-themed murals as they learn about the park's history from volunteer tour guides. What do you think of Chicano Park? It's beautiful. Have you ever seen anything like this? Uh, No, I haven't. No. Um, That's a dentist visiting from Tennessee. She's here with a group of about a dozen other dentists from across the country who'd come to see the park. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. What did you guys learn about the park? We've learned some great history. Um, Jess taught us a lot about the Mexican struggle through this area. And even with the councilman, how the park has transitioned and how it's had its ups and downs and how it's really a celebration of the diversity of this area. It's really, really cool, really interesting. And who is your tour guide today? And that's one of the leaders of a youth choir group from San Jose that made sure to stop by the park before heading home. Their tour guide is former San Diego City Councilman Jess Haro. Haro says he leads tours whenever he has time. 
So, uh, as you can see, there's a lot of interest in the park. We've got three or four different groups here today. I know. You know, so it's, uh, I was telling them that uh, it has a pretty um, um, controversial history, but it's uh, iconic. As I was telling these people, this is the noisiest park in America, but but it has its history. <laughs> Tell me about it. Try to I'm Kinsey Moreland, and you're listening to Voice of San Diego's Culture Cast. This season, we're focused on the intersection of art and gentrification in Barrio Logan, a historically underserved Latino community that's seeing a lot of fast change. The controversial history Haro's referring to is what most folks call the takeover. On April 22, 1970, bulldozers showed up under the bridge. Folks who lived in the neighborhood thought they were finally getting the park the city had promised as a reparation for ripping their community in half by constructing the freeway and bridge right through it. But instead, the bulldozers were there to make way for a new parking lot and a station for the California Highway Patrol. Word spread fast. People were pissed, and soon hundreds of folks from all over San Diego flooded the land and stood their ground for 12 days until the city finally agreed to nix the highway patrol plans and build Barrio Logan their park. Pretty rad, right? The park's controversial history is, of course, part of what makes the place so interesting. And now a volunteer group is working to further cement the park's place in history. They have plans to open up a permanent museum inside a currently vacant city-owned building that borders the park. They want a place for tour groups to go, a place where folks can dig in and learn more about the park and the people behind it, a place where the park's oral history can be accessed into the foreseeable future, long after the handful of aging volunteer tour guides pass on. David Alvarez, the councilman who represents the region that includes Chicano Park, says he's on board with the plan. He lives nearby and he says he'd even like to subsidize the museum by offering the group something akin to the dollar leases that a few of the institutions in the city's Balboa Park enjoy. Of course, not everyone's on board with the plan. Roger Ogden, a retired Navy scientist who lives in San Diego and calls himself a patriot activist, says he doesn't think city dollars should fund a movement that's so racially divisive. He emailed me after I wrote a story about the proposed Chicano Park Museum, so I gave him a call to see what he had to say. And I don't think the uh, taxpayers should be supporting that. And the museum will be used to indoctrinate young people in the Chicano ideology. Roger says he isn't racist. He says he would be on board with funding a Mexican-American-themed museum. But he says the term Chicano is racially and politically charged because it's attached to the civil rights Chicano movement that launched in the 60s. He said he personally knows a lot of Mexican-Americans or Latinos who aren't comfortable being called Chicanos themselves because of the politics packed into the term. It's not just critics like Roger that advocates have to contend with. Leaders of the nonprofit group working to open the Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Center say even with Alvarez on their side, history has taught them that politicians' words are almost never enough. Because uh, the thing is, is that I, I've learned from being involved in, in the Chicano Park is that the city will always, they'll say things and then turn around and say, no, we didn't do that. We didn't, no. Well, I can take something out of one of these books and I can show them in black and white. Yes, you did. Look at, read this. This says 
that you promised this, that, or the other. And that's what we've been working on. And I learned that the hard way because that's what we had to do in order for the city to work with us and be honest with us. You know, they, you know, not just say, oh yeah, we're going to do this, and it never came to be. Tommy Camarillo is sitting at a picnic table in Chicano Park. In front of her is a large cardboard display memorabilia from her decades of volunteering on the Chicano Park Steering Committee, the group that helps care for the park and organizes events. Some of the photos on Tommy's display are of file cabinets and bookshelves in her home. Those cabinets and bookshelves are filled with big binders that hold decades worth of documentation related to the park. Tommy made a habit of saving everything, news clipping, notes from meetings with city representatives, bills and such, because it all has helped keep politicians honest and ensured park improvement projects stayed on track. Tommy says just about everything inside the park, the murals, the stage, a bronze statue of Mexican military leader Emiliana Zapata, and an altar, was the result of a struggle between community leaders in the city or Caltrans, the government agency that owns the freeway and the bridge. Her binders document those struggles. A book just on the kiosco. I have a book just on the Zapata statue, on the marquee, on the plaza, which is part of Chicano Park across the street. For example, the story on the kiosco is we designed it ourselves. The community? Yes. We designed it just the way it is. We knew that the first thing that the city would say is money. We don't have, you know, really many. So as you look at it, you know that's not an expensive design, you know. And, I mean, if it was up to us, we would have had big pyramids or something, you know, real fancy. <laughs> but we knew that that's what they would get to us first is the money. The councilman at that time was Jess Harrell for this area. When he seen our design that we did, he didn't like it. He wanted Spanish design. And we told him, you want Spanish design? Go to Old Town. That's all Spanish. We want Aztec Mayan design because that's what the community wanted. You know, we're, you're not, you know, we're not uh, going to do what you want. I mean, this isn't your park, per se. This is a community. Tommy's collection is part of the motivation behind the push to build a museum and cultural center dedicated to the park. She needs a place where she can put it. But another reason Tommy says the museum is important now more than ever is because of gentrification. She says these days she sometimes barely recognizes the neighborhood she grew up in. In the last few years. I call this, this street going up the continuation of the gas lamp. Because on weekends it looks... The gas lamp just comes right up and goes all the way up. And a lot of, like, young artsy people, you know, the yuppies and all them have taken over there. And it's, uh, I just call it a, uh, an extension of, of um, the gas lamp because that's what it really, you know, is. Because there's a lot of people here that live in Logan, especially the new ones that have come in, that don't have the slightest idea what Chicano Park is or what we went through for Chicano Park, you know, and, um... Enter the museum, which is the whole that one play, right? Right, right, yeah. They need to know the history. Yeah. They need to know, I mean, they think, you know, a lot of people come and say, whoa, look at what the city gave us, and, you know, there was, this is a struggle. We had a struggle for every, look at what I just told you about the kiosco, you know, that we had to fight for. Well, everything... Josephine Telementes is heading up the Chicano Park Museum Project. 
She says the city-owned building where they want to put the museum and cultural center was always meant to serve the community. Absolutely. And that building was initially part of the whole negotiation for this land, Chicano Park, back in uh, April 22nd, which is equivalent to Earth Day, right? But we took over this land along with that building. And that building was designated um, initially as a California Highway Patrol, because that's what this was going to be. And when we uh, uh, occupied this land, that building uh, was negotiated for services for the community. And so Since we the takeover in 1970, the, the brick building at 1960 National Avenue has been leased by the Chicano Federation and most recently by San Diego Continuing Education, the San Diego Community College District's adult education arm, which occupied the building for almost four decades. Last fall, the district vacated the building for its new $49 million campus that's located just around the corner in Barrio Logan. That's when Josephine says she got really serious about making the museum happen. She says she's in the middle of talking to donors about the estimated $8 million they'll need to get the building in shape. She says she's reaching out to local colleges and universities about possible partnerships. And she says she's keeping in contact with Alvarez, in part to make sure the city doesn't put the building out to public bid and instead gives her group first dibs. Josephine says the Cultural Center will showcase art exhibits, include educational displays about the park in the wider Barrio Logan and Logan Heights community, plus house rooms for meetings and other events and classes. Like Tommy, Josephine says the neighborhood's surge in new development has her concerned for the community's future. So I think my fear is when that kind of stuff happens and there's no focus on the communities that lived here, there's no affordable housing, and there's no uh, historical significance of this community, that's what I fear. Because the transition will happen and it'll be it'll be like, uh, I don't know that area in, in Washington, D.C., but I've been there, you know. Or, absolutely. It, that, you know, this is, I mean, it's prime property. It's walking distance to downtown, for gosh sakes, you know. <laughs> I think in a certain way that can happen in this community, not necessarily physically, but an erasure of, of the, the cultural traditions that are this place. You know, the stories, the, the joys, the, the pain, the suffering, the hard work, everything that people have enjoyed in this community can be erased by unchecked development, unchecked uh, uh, gentrification, uh, unchecked property, we call it property piracy. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it saddens me that if there isn't the proper attention to controlling that in some way, that over a short period of time, the character of this community can change significantly. That's Mario Chacon, one of the board members of the nonprofit that's working on opening the museum. He's also an artist who helped restore the Chicano Park murals in 2011. He says the Chicano Park Steering Committee often hears from researchers, writers, and historians from other countries and states, but he still comes across people right here in San Diego who have never stepped foot in the park, let alone have heard its origin story. So what became very clear to us is that people from other countries know more about this site than people north of eight of Highway 8. So it's very, it's, it was a very interesting uh, thing to realize how cut off 
for whatever reasons uh, the outside community is from this very, very important historic site. Do you think the museum will hold change that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Settle here. <laughs> Should I get a couple of chairs? Is this garden new? Yes. It's new. It's new. The landscaping? All this is new. You want me to? Can I get you some? No, I can. Sit? I can sit down. I'm not a baby. I'll sit on wood chips. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Mario Torero is one of the artists who painted the murals in Chicano Park. He says just like the start of the park itself, the murals were the result of the community coming together to do something to improve their neighborhood. He says the cold gray cement of the freeway and bridge was screaming out for color. So he and the other artists tried to do things the right way by getting official permits and approvals. But that took too long, so eventually they just went ahead and started painting. We took over the, the park in uh, April 22nd, and we... 1970. 1970. And from the get-go, we knew that we were going to uh, paint murals on these walls, but we needed to negotiate that with uh, people in... Because we had never... We had never dealt with the system. The only system we had dealt with was the police harassing us for years here during the, that depression time. And, and, so, and so we tried to talk to the city, the state, the, and whoever's involved, Caltrans, but we, we got the, the runaround, meetings after meetings, and they never gave us the, the, the yes, go ahead and paint. And so, and so it always surprises me when I think back that how long it took to the third year almost that um, that we uh, just went on ahead without their approval we began painting uh, murals at Chicano Park starting with this one here we call that the return of Quesacuaro. Mario says he's in the middle of getting ready to get the next generation of Chicano artists to help paint some of the few remaining blank concrete slabs left around the park they have plans to paint a new mural actually in the fall and nope He's not waiting around for anyone to give him any nods of approval. They were, they, they, we were too far ahead, you know, we were in another world. So they didn't give us the okay, and because they didn't give us the okay, they'll, they will never expect another okay from them, and we just do it. Okay. Each mural has a story, and each artist who painted the murals has a story. Mario says he's always wanted placards or maybe an app to help tell the park's hordes of visitors all those stories. He says the Chicano Park Museum will help with that. Victor Ochoa, another one of the artists behind the murals, is on board with the museum idea, too. He thinks it'll add to the power of the park. See, when Victor thinks about Chicano Park, he sort of imagines it as a big barrier. That I think is, um, is Chicano Park has been very instrumental in, in actually protecting and like an obstacle for gentrification. You know, it may not be just that, that trend-setting part of it, but it's also the one where they can't just steamroll us right over. So in a certain way, that's a protection. Yeah, it's almost like a wall right there. Huh? Well, a wall or, or, or an obstacle. I, could, I, I visualize this big steamroller and then they, they get stuck at the park. Oh, yeah. you know, and, he um, says the museum will make that barrier even harder to break. 
Victor also has lots of Chicano Park memorabilia, including eight large replicas of pillars in Chicano Park that were formerly on display in an exhibition in Los Angeles. He's already donated those pillars to the permanent collection of the future museum. He and the other artists who painted the park's original murals are getting older. Some have already passed away. Two people who were part of the takeover, in fact, died in the last few weeks. He says he hopes the museum will include a Chicano Park Hall of Fame. You know, and, and we need a place for, for the documentation, you know, because you know, a lot of us have parts of the documentation, like Tommy Camarillo, but you know, as we're getting older, we want to make sure that they're in a safe place. I've been in an archive situation because I, my grandfather was an archivist, so I've been saving, I have like 54 legal size office drawers, you know, Sorry, in, yeah, in there already, that. plus about 19,000 19, images, and and then posters, silkscreen, and as much stuff as I could I could put in the archives. Yeah. So that that's been really important for me, and I think that uh, that this museum will will be a kick in the head to preserve some of our history. You know. Yeah. Because a lot of it is. Peek in the window real quick. I wanted to ask you, what are we even looking at? We can't look in the window. This is the lobby. This is a lobby to, again, I know the building quite well. This is the entryway, the lobby for students who are going to register to come to the campus. Uh, this was the administrative sort of side. And then there's classrooms along. Councilman David Alvarez spent a lot of time in the city-owned building that's being envisioned as the new Chicano Park Museum. He grew up in the neighborhood, and his parents, as part of their process of becoming Leo residents, took language classes there at night. He says he played in the building as they learned English. David says he wants to see the old building get a new life. He says he's working with Josephine and the others to try to simplify the process and facilitate the deal. He's even advocating offering the group the lowest lease rate the city can offer, some nominal fee of a few thousand dollars that covers just administrative costs. Uh, so this building became vacant, and what I've always heard is, you know, let's have a facility that serves Chicano Park and all of the people that come here, and it makes absolute sense to me. And so we're going to be working on ensuring that um, the Chicano Park and Cultural uh, Center becomes a reality for all those people that you saw who come in buses and just walk around, you know, with nowhere to, else to go. We want to give them a place to go. Certainly want to give them a place perhaps to uh, learn a little bit more history and have some artifacts that are important to the history of Chicano Park and certainly the, the Chicano movement in San Diego. In the budget the city council just approved, there's a $350,000 facility fund. David said he's already put in a request to direct some of those funds to improving the building. In next year's budget, he says he's going to go after a portion of the millions of dollars that fund other city parks like Mission Bay and Balboa Park because he sees Chicano Park as on par and just as important as those big parks that serve people from all over the world. Barney Logan is changing, and a lot of that change, at least in David's opinion, is good. Like, he has a few places within walking distance of his house in Logan Heights where he can go get a good craft beer. And there's more food options in the neighborhood. He digs that. And the art, he loves going to art shows with his family. But people are being displaced. David's own family lost the rented home he grew up in because his family couldn't afford to buy it from the landlords who 
ultimately ended selling it up to investors, making speculations about Barrio Logan after Petco Park was built downtown. In the next episode of CultureCast, I talk to one of the real estate developers who's swooping up properties in Barrio Logan, and I get his take on the gentrification issue and whether it can or even should be solved. And yes, he admits that he has displaced some people and businesses, but he makes a compelling case for why that's okay. In one of the properties he purchased, for example, he says about 14 people were crammed into a 900-foot house through a system of plywood additions that he says no one should have been living in. You know, when we found, I mean, it, it was almost, I don't want to use the word prison camp, but I mean, I don't know any other way to describe pl- like large plywood shelves and a makeshift shower inside of an old closet. Um, and this is what the, the conditions that folks were living. And, uh, you know, while I don't want to criticize This that, podcast you know, was written and produced by me, Kinsey Moreland. Scott Lewis provided editing help and Colin Thompson mastered it. Voice of San Diego is a nonprofit news resource. If you're listening to and enjoying this podcast, please consider taking a minute right now. Cruise over to voicesandiego.org and hit the donate button. Yeah, we really appreciate it. You can also find our other podcasts by searching Voice of San Diego in the iTunes Store or Stitcher. Stitcher.